Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So it'll be the Bucks against the Saints in the NFC Divisional Playoff game next Sunday at 6.40 p.m. on Fox. Tom Brady against Drew Brees, part two. The third in a uh, trilogy, I guess you would say. Um, and, and we're all looking forward to it. Let me tell you, I'm excited about that one. So we'll, we'll break down that as well as the Bucks win over Washington on Saturday night. And a pretty good quarterback that came out of nowhere against them and played a, a really competitive game. We'll also get you ready for tonight's national championship game in college football between Alabama and Ohio State with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. we get got all of that. And more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know Old Northeast Jewelers? You're very familiar with them. They have two locations. Of course, their original store has been on 4th Street North in St. Petersburg for years. Well, now they have a brand new store in Hyde Park. The address is 1607 West Swan Avenue. That's in beautiful Hyde Park Village. Now, don't forget Old Northeast Jewelers has had online consultations and free delivery to your door for jewelries, for rings, and luxury watches. And if you're looking for some little extra money, you know, after the holidays, well, Old Northeast Jewelers is always buying fine jewelry and luxury watches, and you can trade in a piece and have something that you like that's brand new and ready to go. So make sure you go to uh, see Old Northeast Jewelers, the two locations. You know the one on 4th Street in St. Pete, and also check out the brand-new store in Hyde Park, 1607 West Swan Avenue. All right, Steve, so it's going to be the Bucks against the New Orleans Saints. We knew that this was going to happen sooner or later, and the only reason why it's not uh, Green Bay instead is because the big upset um, that, you know, Seattle losing to the Rams up there in the, in the Northwest. And so now the Rams will be headed to Green Bay, who had the bye week. And the Rams so the Bucks, who had John Walford, who got hurt, left in an ambulance. Yeah, And then Jared crazy, Goff had right? to come back in, what, less than two weeks after surgery, and – yeah. He didn't look very good, but the Rams were able to win. You know, um, we've talked a little bit about this uh, before, but Sean McVay is just an unbelievable coach. I mean, if I had to win one game and, you know, it's the old Bum Phillips line. Was it Bum Phillips? Uh, he can take urine and beat his in, and you can take his in and beat urine, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he said it about Don Shula, but I think it's true with Sean McVay. I just think he has a way of, of figuring it out, which is what, which is what coaching is. You know, you have so many players. and But usually when you're affected like that at the quarterback position, there's no chance. Um, but they kept Jared Goff active for a reason, even though he had the thumb. And he was able to throw the football. I mean, I, I'm sure it didn't feel good, and I'm sure it wasn't as, as uh, you know, seamless as he would have liked it to have been. But he was able to come in when Wolford got hurt. And, um, you know, their defense, I thought, was the hero of that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just get after it, right? Aaron Donald was a little nicked up now, but with Jalen Ramsey and the guys in the secondary are really, really good. They had a defensive touchdown. And, you know, I just think Seattle continues to ask Russell Wilson to do too much for him. And he really wasn't the same guy, you know, the second half of the year for whatever reason. So um, I, I kind of called that upset. I felt like, mm-hmm. you know, 
the Rams had beaten them, and, and, and they weren't going to be intimidated with or without Wolford going back up into uh, into Seattle. So uh, they get the win there, and that meant that the Bucks were either going to host a game or they are going to go to New Orleans if New Orleans won. And the Saints took care of the Bears fairly handily. Um, the Bears just I, – I, I didn't like – I didn't understand the game plan. I mean, they, they start Mitch Trubisky, and he played the whole game, but they didn't let him do much. And to me – um, you need points. You know, you need a lot of points in the playoffs. You got to be able to score points. And, you know, they had opportunities, you know, even at the end of the half, they had two minutes to go, a couple timeouts. They basically didn't try to score. It was weird. It was like they were content to go into halftime trailing seven to three. And you knew that wasn't going to hold up. Although, you know, if you'd asked them when the game started, would he be okay with it? They certainly would have said, yeah, because, you know, the Saints were a little out of sync and had some turnovers and got themselves behind early in, in the downs and distances. But um, this was an opportunity that I, I thought, you know, the Bears actually had a chance to to make this a tough game. And um, even though the score wasn't that whack, it was 21-9, to I think, and scored a touchdown on the last play of the game. But, um, you know, it, 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 kind of, it kind of went the way I thought. I mean, so New Orleans wins this one, and now they're going to face a Bucks team that, let's be honest, um, when I learned that Alex Smith was not going to start for Washington – I was like, I, I, I turned to Joey Knight and I said, this game's over. I mean, there's no way they're going to lose. They're not, they're not possibly going to lose to a guy named Taylor Heineke. We had to look him up. Now, he's been there for about a month or so. Uh, this was a guy that at one point was in Carolina with Ron Rivera. He had thrown one pass against the Bucks. It was a Hail Mary at the end of a game once. And, you know, from Old Dominion, a month or so ago, he was taking online courses trying to finish up his work there. He had been, I think, in the AAF, which is about two spring leagues ago. And um, lo and behold, he, you know, after they got rid of Dwayne Haskins and all of that, he had come on to be sort of their third quarterback and, you know, was promoted after Haskins and got in the game, last game of the season, I think, uh, or next to last game. He got in and played, played pretty well. Um, but when you looked at it, I mean, the guy, you know, had as many pass attempts or actually fewer pass attempts like 74 as Tom Brady had playoff touchdowns which was 77 going into the game it's just crazy like the disparity of experience and accomplishment was you know off the chains favoring the Bucks and yet the game didn't end that way because Heineke played unbelievable I mean this this cat in addition to throwing for 300 yards with a touchdown and an interception, he also, you know, was their leading rusher and got out of some god-awful jams where it looked like they had him sacked and, uh, you know, ran for a touchdown, which is really, really good and kept the minute right up until. So the Bucks were pressed, and yet, you know what? I, I thought Tom Brady played just a really smart, great game. And, you know, there were some drop passes and some things that, you know, they didn't finish some drives. They needed four four field goals from Ryan Suckup, which is not what you want to do against the better teams. But he made some big throws down the mm-hmm. field. Um, Mike Evans, who, you know, a week ago at this time, we were saying, gosh, you know, I wonder if the guy is, is going to miss the playoffs. I wonder if, you know, it's going to affect his career. And turns out it was a hyperextended knee. He didn't practice until late Thursday and Friday and uh, went out there and, you know, was their leading receiver and made some huge plays as did Leonard Fournette who had to step in for Ronald Jones because Jones hurt his quad in warmups. So they were down to really two running backs with just Jones and 
Keyshawn Vaughn because LaShawn McCoy was inactive with an illness. So there was a lot that went on in that game and some good performances, including one from Cam Brait. And they got out of there, and that's that's what you're trying to do, right? It's survive in advance. Um, as Tom Brady said, Steve, after the game, he goes, look, we could have won 100 to nothing. The result's the same. Mm-hmm. Well, they should have won by more. As you mentioned, the drop passes was kind of yeah. frustrating early on because, you know, you knew that Washington had Taylor Heineke, and you just go, you know, we should be the Bucks should be putting this game out of reach. Yes, it should have been a lot further out of reach instead of making it a one score game by the end of the by the the time the the game went final. So, you know, the drop passes and I, and I thought the defense could have played better. I, I didn't think, absolutely. You know, I mean, granted, you didn't prepare for a quarterback that was going to be as mobile as right. Taylor Heineke, and I, I think that caused a lot of issues and problems on the defense. And you're missing Devin White, who presumably will be back this week. And, and so, you know, that was part of it, too, I think, is, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, Devin White may have been that spy on Heineke a lot had they, you mm-hmm. know, had he been in the lineup. So, you know, maybe things come out different there. But, you know, I mean, the Bucks get get the win, and that's the important part. But there are some yes. things they need to work on. No doubt. And yet there were some positive signs. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked all week about how Washington's defensive line, you know, we all heard what Chase Young had yes. to say about how he wanted Tom Brady, and yet – um, you know, they had Montez uh, Sweat. They had a lot of guys on the defensive line, five first-round draft picks, in fact, that can really bring pressure. And you know what? I, I take my hat off to Donovan Smith and mm-hmm. um, Tristan Wirfs, by the way. What a, what a great player. I mean, this guy probably should have made the Pro Bowl this year, and and he didn't. But I assure you, if didn't he Didn't even make Rookie of the Year finalist either. No, and he should should have been that as well. Yeah. In fact, the Bucks didn't have really anybody. They had a couple of second team All Pros, which is for the entire league, not just mm-hmm. the NFC. But um, you know, uh, Worfs has been remarkable. And Did you see you know Joe Thomas's sh- tweet about him. Who's Joe Thomas? No, huh? He, he said Tristan Worfs is really damn good. <laughs> well, and if, and if Joe Dom- Thomas is saying, yeah, that. as Jameis Winston <laughs> to quote the great philosopher, real, real recognizes real. Um, and, and, and he is, he, his, his feet are just in the athleticism, the strength, uh, he, he is, you know, I've always said this, when, when someone is special, you find out right away. It, you don't have to wait. If it's a special running back, if it's a special quarterback, um, a, a, a great singer, I mean, entertainer, whatever it is, actor, you, you know, it, it's, it's there, it's there pretty early on and you see it. Um, and we've seen that with Tristan Wirfs, who just has a great temperament, is a great kid. Not a kid, great young man. Uh, of course, we've written about his story, his mom raising him and his sister out in Iowa and working at Target. And, you know, um, he was involved in a lot of sports. And that's the thing, too. I talk to kids all the time. You know, these days they make you choose. You know, you have to go on a travel team. You gotta, is it soccer? Is it baseball? Is it, you know, whatever it is. And they make you declare this by the time you're 8 or 9 or 10 years old. Yeah, they're trying to at 5 and 6. Trust me. I know. My kids are there now. I'm like, no. It's, it's unbelievable. And I and I just, you know, and Tristan was one of those guys that did everything. He played baseball. He played football. He mm-hmm. wrestled. Wrestling was a big thing for him. Um, and, you know, I think he benefited from all of those things. And that's why, now that he is in the NFL, he's such a tremendous athlete because he has great feet, great coordination, great balance. He can do anything. And, you know, that that's the sort of thing I think people overlook when they, um, you know, are sold the fact that your kid's going to win a college scholarship if he just devotes himself 100% at age five um, to this one particular sport. So 
But I got off track a little bit. Worse was great. I, th- I thought, you know, they shut down that defensive line for the most mm-hmm. part. Tom got some pressure up the middle. Bad injury loss, though. And, and this is going to be significant, I think, moving forward. Yes. Is Alex Kappa. Um, looks like he's broken his ankle. Uh, that's going to be devastating for them. They they had Ted Larson active. They brought him up from the practice squad. Larson has experience in the league, uh, but was not on a roster when the season began, and for a reason, quite frankly. I mean, I like Ted Larson. Um, not the guy you want to go very deep with as you're starting anything, center, guard. He is He's the penultimate backup, backup. And so they're going to have to decide, is, is Larson going to be able to hold it down? Because the one place you don't want pressure from Brady is right inside because that's where he stands. If you get, you know, if there's some edge rushers coming off and, and, and guys like Donovan Smith and Wirfs can push them a little bit to the outside, you know, Tom does a great job of climbing into the pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping his eyes downfield and being able to deliver the ball. And, you know, by the same token, um, you know, if, if there are guys winning inside at his feet, he's not very comfortable, nor would any quarterback be. But that's where he is, and that's how he, he sort of functions. So they're going to have to get that hole patched pretty quick. But you know what? Overall, um, I was pleased that you know to see Mike Evans, first and mm-hmm. foremost, back out there after the hyperextension, played huge, You know, had like 100 and, I don't know, 20, 119, 120 yards receiving. He was tremendous. Um, you know, and, of course, all the receivers sort of made plays. Tom made huge plays. Antonio Brown now has five touchdowns, I think, in his last uh, three games. So he's come alive. Scotty mm-hmm. Miller made some plays. Cam Brate had his yep. best day of the season. Um, so hats off to you know to those guys. Look, well, we didn't talk about a, Leonard Fournette either. Well, no, and and that you know, and and I we didn't even realize that that had occurred. You know, I saw Leonard in there in the first series. I thought, hmm, they did that last week, but it was Jones's first week back, and Jones ran really really well in that final Atlanta game. So I was expecting to see Ronald, you know, right off the bat. And then it was like, well, maybe he's getting a series. Like, Wait a minute, maybe he's getting – and then it was like, no, he's got a quad injury. So that's really significant to to think that you're going to go and win two more playoff games to get to the Super Bowl without Ronald Jones. And, you know, uh, and yet Leonard Fournette, who has been here all season and at one point was sort of sulking and um, didn't have the greatest attitude, has now found himself in a, in a leader, lead role. Uh, and he's going to have to – you know, continue to, to find a way to be productive. Uh, that was his best game by far, both rushing and receiving. And so, you know, uh, they're very lucky that they had they have some depth there. I mean, it turns out that Jason Light, whether it was with Antonio Brown or Leonard Fournette, you know, Gronkowski blocked his butt off because he was part of that, that you know, design um, to, to limit the outside pass rush to give Tom time. But it, it was just, you know, it was it was a solid performance. But you, you you hit it on the head, and and Bruce Arians said it right after the game. He goes, "Look, offensively, I was okay with what we did." He goes, mm-hmm. "We need to finish more drives." He goes, "Defensively, we probably don't beat a good team if we play like that again." And he's right. Yeah, I think they would if they play that way. They're going to struggle against New Orleans. Yep, no doubt. You know, now the the offense. You know, you clean up those drops, and and you know, how many points would that offensive score? Well, and they kick, yeah, they kick four field goals, mm-hmm. so you have potential for more touchdowns. Yep. And that game, you know, and then when you get when you get separation, then your defense suddenly looks better, right? Because teams have to mm-hmm. abandon the run and they become one dimensional. And and like I said, Heinke did a lot of the rushing on his own by getting outside and doing things like that. So, look, they had not won a playoff game since the Super Bowl two thousand and two season, January two hundred three. 
Um, and you know, that was a very, very long time ago. So they got that done. And, uh, you know, like Brady said after the game, he goes, you know, we could win a hundred to nothing and it's still the same result. You know, the result is you're advancing and where are they advancing to new Orleans. Now I had had this conversation with a coach, a couple of them actually, and said, who would you want to play? And, and almost universally, they said, oh, Green Bay. <laughs> I was like, really? You want to go to Green Bay against the number one seed and what could be the frozen Lambo field, the tundra? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we do, because they beat Green Bay. And, you know, the one thing they know, death and taxes, and New Orleans is better. New Orleans has been better and has been better for a while. They've won five straight games against the Bucks, And... Most of them weren't very close. Most of them were, were double-digit wins, four out of the five. The last win was uh, Fitzmagic, correct, to open yeah, the Fitz season? Yeah, Fitzmagic, who shocked them 48-40, to 40, I think it was, mm-hmm. yep. or 48-41 to 41 or something like that. It was a huge shootout, and they needed all of his magic and then some. Um, I remember him picking up a third and 12 with his feet, or, they, mm-hmm. or Breeze would have gotten the ball back and probably beaten him. Wasn't Ver- so, Vernon Hartgraves had a huge... Uh, fumble recovery or he, he did. forced the fumble or I remember yeah. which one but yeah the defense chipped in there and yeah and opening that was an opening day win at New Orleans yeah mm-hmm. it was really something and you know Fitz being Fitz and so they, that's the last time that that they beat New Orleans and look it was it was unconvincing at best they still gave up 40 in that game um now you know the Saints have some problems there's no doubt that they they do they've got injury issues you know, Kamara was coming off COVID, and he was able to play on Sunday. He looked okay. Michael Thomas is back, but he's still, you know, a little gimpy on that ankle. And so, you know, they're not 100%. I mean, Drew Brees is out there playing his second or third game, you know, with the cracked ribs and all the things that went on with that and punctured lung. And they were out of sync. You know, first half, like I said, they, they had a ball that was intercepted. They you know, weren't very good on first down. They had to punt. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and that's why they only scored a touchdown. Um, that and Matt Nag- Nagy decided, you know, with two minutes to go and two timeouts, he was just going to turtle and not try to score. And, of course, it wound up biting him. But um, but the Saints, the Saints are good. And this is going to be a chippy one, too, because there's not a lot of good blood between these two teams, and there hasn't been for some time, although it's a lopsided series. I mean, let's face it. If you're talking and you're in on Tampa Bay's huddle, you probably should shut up because they got scoreboard on you. And I you know, you just got to go out there and try to beat them. And yet I'm sure that the Saints would have probably would rather see no one else because they've already beaten the Bucks twice this year. And to have to try to beat them three times, two ways you could look at that. One, we're just better bring them on. I don't care. We're going to we're going to kick the crap out of them again or two, this is not the same Bucks team they played. I mean, the first game they played was the first game Tom Brady ever played for Tampa. And, you know, he had had no no real offseason. He had no preseason games. He had never really been on, you know, the artificial turf, as it were, with his new guys, with his new receivers, all trying to say the, see the same things. And this offense has come light years ahead of that. Even when they played him in Tampa Bay and also got shellacked, um, I still think that Brady was way out of sync. And, you know, he's got five interceptions against them this year. By far the worst games he's played have been against the New Orleans Saints. And so he's certainly got to step up his game. But I think everybody around him will too. I just think this team has now won, what, five in a row? 
Um, Brady's in the f- best five-game streak I think he's ever had, you know, in terms of uh, passing percentage and yards. And he's got like, I don't know, 15, 16 touchdowns, one interception that was like a deflection off Scotty Miller. So, you know, he's he's playing as, as good as you could play. And so for that reason, um, I, I you know, I think it's I think they have a really good shot to win this game. I think it's hard to beat a team three times, although most teams do. If you go back and look at the teams that, that have played uh, a team in the same season three times, they usually win. The last time the Bucks did it, they did it twice in the same year. Um, it was 1997, I believe. And they played the Lions three times and beat them uh, in a playoff game, first wildcard playoff game. Uh, and then, um, you know, they also played Green Bay that year three times because they were in the old NFC North. And after beating Detroit, they went and ended up playing Green Bay and lost to the Packers. So they had two uh, teams that they played three games with. But, you know, they they got to go through them sooner or later. If you're going to be the best in the NFC, you better start with your own division. And, of course, the Saints have won that division four years in a row. But here's a chance to get back at them and knock them out. And if they do, Steve, this is the last potentially, and I believe it, the last game that Drew Brees may play which is weird, right? I mean, it's like he's been such a mainstay of that franchise. You wonder, I know they got Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston might still be around, but you wonder, sort of like with Belichick and Tom Brady, how good is Sean Payton without Drew Brees? Now, he's won games. You know, he was 5-0 and last year um, with Teddy Bridgewater. I think he was 3-1 mm-hmm. and this year with Taysom Hill, so I'm not dismissing that, but I think Breeze has been the reason why this this there's been so much stability in New Orleans. Oh, I, I think it's absolutely the the reason for the stability. But look, I, I think Sean Payton is a tremendous, particularly offensive coach, and oh, he is. He's going to craft his offense around whoever whatever his quarterback talent. is, whether it's mm-hmm. Taysom Hill or whether it's somebody else they bring in, Jameis Winston, sure, you know, whoever it is. Maybe they're going to trade for Deshaun Watson because apparently he wants traded, right? Um, but. You know he's going to craft that offense. You know I, I think you know offensive creative wise he might be the best in the game um, as far as yeah. crafting an offense in that. So you, you know will they be as good? Uh, you know no because I don't think Taysom Hill is as good of a quarterback as Drew Brees is, and and nor is Jameis Winston and and that. But can they win games? Particularly with the amount of talent they have around him and uh, and the defense they have too. Absolutely they will. So. Um, what you really have to hope for the Bucks going into this game is, you know, the first game of the season, as you mentioned, that was that was a scheduled loss. I mean, you were oh, going into New no, Orleans, yeah. division no champs, doubt. with no offseason, no preseason. Yeah. Everything's new, essentially. No were, fans, yeah, which was weird. Yeah, you were never winning that game. No. The second game, was that was the one that was disappointing. And yes. you're down 28 nothing, and you've run like 12 plays, if that. <laughs> right. Um, it was three and out, three and out, three and out. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just. I was at that game. I was in the stands there, and it was just you're sitting there going, "What's going on?" I mean, yeah, you had you know some drop passes. Brady was a little off early, and all of a sudden the, the game was lost in the first quarter. I mean, it was over. It, was. it um, was. So I don't even know if you can take a lot out of that game. Besides, you got to get off to a better start. I mean, you can't let them get to a big lead, right? Um, you know, they're a much better team than what you played in Washington. But I also think you know this team better than maybe any other team in your division or in football. Right. You know, even for a coaching staff, it's only been there two years, but that's the team you're chasing. That's the team you're after. So 
you know, this is the time that, you know, okay, the last – you've played them four times now in your two years as a coaching staff. You ought to know how to attack them and how to, to defend them and, and have a, a game plan that you have a chance to win with. They've probably known it for a while and haven't been able to, to execute it, to your mm-hmm. point. They just, you know, haven't played well. And I think that, you know, Todd Bowles has tried things uh, from playing off in zone coverage, which is, I think, an absolute mistake, mm-hmm. uh, to bringing the house and, and getting beat by Breeze, you know, much the way Brady does. But what's different is that Brady in, in the offense is, is really sort of in a rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. When they protect him, he makes huge plays. And he's got – you know, Antonio Brown's first game was the second time they played New Orleans this year. He had three catches. He had been here just for about, you know, that week. And so you look at what Antonio Brown was the last time the Saints saw this football team to where he is now. It's light years ahead. And they're light years ahead as an offense. They've evolved. They've got more motion. They've got uh, pre-snap motion. They've got, you know, um, just a lot of things, play action that Brady needs. And like I said, best five-game stretch of his career Bar none. Like, he is a hot quarterback route right now with a hot offense. And if they can score, I mean, look, the, the Bears have a good defense. I, I, I'll give them that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if you can score enough points, I mean, the Saints, they had 21, you know. And I still think if you win, if you score 30, 35 points against them, get into a shootout, that, that Brady's capable of going up and down the field. He's not going to look like the Brady from opening day or even the one that got beat, you know, later in the season. So I think it's going to be a great matchup, and this could be it. I mean, this could be the last time we see Drew Brees in an NFL uniform because he's already signed with NBC. I think he's headed out into the sunset and trying to get one more Super Bowl on the way. So um, 40, what is it, 43 and 41-year-old or 42-year-old, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Drew Brees, the, the one and two all time in every category you can imagine from passing yards to touchdowns. I mean, this is one that, uh, you know, you want to be able to tell your kids that you watched or that you bought a ticket to. You can't buy a ticket, but if you could, you certainly would. Um, well, and, and, and all those, time, all those uh, times we talk about Tampa Bay fans feel their teams don't get respect nationally. This game is the last game of the weekend of that's the right. divisional series. That's the best game. That's right. The NFL puts That's their it. best game in that last time slot because it's got the That's potential right. for the most audience on Sunday late afternoon evening. Yeah. So I mean, no, they, you're right. They you know they recognize this that you know Breeze versus Brady. This is the matchup. They this is their featured matchup of the weekend. Three times in the same year coming over to the NFC South. That's what they hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're they're obviously if you're a network person, you're hoping for either. Breeze against Aaron Rodgers or Brady against Aaron Rodgers, and you've got just a, a delicious matchup, you know, in the NFC uh, title game a week later. So you win this one, Steve. They win this one somehow, some way. They walk out of New Orleans with a victory. They are sixty minutes away from making history. Sixty minutes against anybody, any team, to be the first team to to play in a Super Bowl in your own home stadium. And man, what a what a delivery on a promise that that you know that Tom Brady had. And I did a story, you can read it, check it out on Sunday's Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. I was interested because, it, you know, obviously Bruce Arians had said it's Super Bowl or bust, you know. Like that's that's just the plan, you know. Uh, and, of course, every team says, well, every year our goal is to win. No. You know, you brought in Brady, you brought in Gronk, you brought in on Fournette, you brought in all these guys, took on all the salary cap, whatever. 
and he doesn't back away from it. He's he's like, look, if we you know if we don't win our la- the last game, we don't if we're not champions, we don't put rings on our fingers. I'm unhappy about it, and I believe him. So uh, Brady has never gone this route. He's he's been a wild card, but it's always been at home. He's never taken the wild card route and gone to a Super Bowl. But there's a first for everything, and you know, uh, like I said, I think the Saints will be surprised how much better their offense is and how much more in sync they are. And, um, you know, for the most part, everybody seems healthy with the exception of maybe Ronald Jones. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll be talking about it all week, I'm sure. Our good friend Buck North reminds us that the Bucks are now 60 minutes away from playing in a hat and T-shirt game for the first time go. since January <laughs> of 03. That's right. That's the one that uh, Bruce Arians likes, the hat yeah. and T-shirts game, man. Yeah, 60 minutes from a hat and T-shirt game. How about that? Uh, it's really interesting. It reminds me a little bit. I mean, not exactly the same thing because there was a bunch of years there where Tony Dungy's all, all his seasons went to die at Veterans Stadium. That was the big joke, right? That uh, they kept playing, you know, running into Philadelphia, kept knocking him out. And then, of course, he leaves. They go back to Philadelphia and John Gruden gets it done. Um, but that's sort of how it feels like, you know, you're going to have to knock these guys out. You've been going there so long um, that maybe they finally have them, have them figured and maybe they're playing well enough to do it. So, I'm excited. We'll be talking about that matchup, I'm sure, all week long, uh, as uh, as well as giving you the fallout from tonight's national title game between Clemson and Ohio State. And to help us break that down. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Matt Baker joins us now from Miami, where he is there to cover the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State. Matt, uh, I guess first and foremost, I am not trying to jinx you, I swear, um, but as we do this podcast, it looks for all the world that uh, they are going to play this game, and there was some doubt about when, because we know there was some COVID issues with Ohio State, and in fact, I guess they're going to be down a number of, of defensive linemen, maybe have just the, the right number to be able to play. So how will it impact the game? And, and just, I mean, this was the goal, right? That they were going to play a national championship. And I, I still think we'll look back at this and say just how remarkable it was in the COVID era that, that any of this occurred, really. I, I think you're exactly right, Rick. Uh, and, and thanks for having me on. This has been remarkable. Um, wh- whatever you think of whether this was a good idea or not, the fact is that barring something crazy, I'm knocking on the wood in my uh, courtyard Marriott hotel room um, <laughs> that that we've made it and that there is going to be a champion um, that there will be a one true champion of college football in this crazy year and in a lot of ways it would be very kind of poetic if Ohio State were to win I don't know that that's going to happen but you, right. you think about you know just how crazy the Big Ten was this year where at one point they said all right we're not going to do it we're done and then Ohio State fought to keep playing. They've had mm-hmm. all the uh, coronavirus issues just like everybody else. And, and for them to have fought to have played to eventually get there, you know, the rules get changed to allow them to play in the Big Ten title game, win that, move on, move on, and then have a chance to beat Bama. It's just kind of the story of the season um, that it's all been so crazy. And, and in terms of how all this stuff will affect things, I don't have a good read on that yet because I don't know how many 
are going to be out for Ohio State. I don't know if Bama's going to have any guys out either. Um, so that's going to, you know, that's going to be one of those things where I'm going to be watching warm-ups, as I've done all year, a little bit more closely, looking at who's here, who's not there, who are the names that I need to know. Um, we haven't talked about Jalen Waddle yet, but uh, Alabama All-American receiver, punt returner from last year, um, injured his, uh, I believe it was his knee earlier this year, injured his leg. And now is maybe going to be back. Wow. We don't know to what extent or anything like that. But yeah, warmups in the COVID era are a lot more interesting than they were last year. Yeah, you learn a lot about those players. And one player that I think you'd be watching a little bit in warmups, at least I would be, is Justin Fields, which the last time I watched this guy just play the greatest game um, he's ever played and one of the best probably in college football uh, for what the stakes were. But after having been sawed in half, essentially, um, with I, I can only surmise, if not broken ribs, very sore ones. What is? I, I mean, first of all, the whole the way whole that whole thing went down with him going in the tent, and you know, there's a story later that that he was asked what the diagnosis was, and he said, "Well, I didn't get a diagnosis; they just shot me up and put me back in there." Um, <laughs> what? I mean, that that was college football in a nutshell for me. But it's what did you make of just yeah. how? how that whole thing went down and, and sort of um, what what you kind of expect from him because the, he's he's got to be playing, you know, with some kind of, of, of uh, needed protection and also soreness. I mean, it's possible a, a, a big hit or two might, might change this game on him. Absolutely, it might. And we go back to, you know, the, the Big Ten title game against Northwestern. It wasn't a rib injury, but because his, his thumb or his hand was a little messed up and he didn't quite look right. Right. And then right. Uh, you, you look at what he can do when he is healthy. Uh, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks. I mean, look, you, you look at the rivals recruiting rankings and all those, the, the best quarterbacks of the modern recruiting era in terms of recruiting have been Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's what the numbers say. That's what the, the, the stars say and uh, Fields, you know, he's had such an interesting career going, starting uh, when, when he was at Georgia and didn't play a whole lot. And everyone's wondering, but you know, should he, should he not? But, you know, he from obviously was doing very well. And uh, he had the one play on a fake punt against Georgia in the SEC title game that flopped and then goes to Ohio State. He's having a very nice career, had a chance to win a title. He, he's a fantastic player, top 10 pick, all that stuff. If he's healthy, I really think Ohio State has a chance, but that's just such a big if. And even if he's able to play but not close to 100%, that's a big deal. Because one of the differences between Justin Fields and and Trevor Lawrence, I think Fields is a little bit better runner, I think, in in some ways. And and if if he's not able to run, if they're not going to do zone read stuff with him as a running threat and they can key in on Trey Sermon a little bit more, uh, then that negates a big potential advantage for, for Ohio state. So yeah, I, I, we'll see how effective he is and how Ohio state has to plan f- for that, either that he's a hundred percent or that he's banged up and limited as the runner, in which case Ohio, if, if he's going to be more one dimensional, that's, that's bad news for the Buckeyes. It feels like, uh, and again, there's, you know, one of the things in this COVID era in, it's sort of true of college athletics versus the NFL. Anyway, there's very little you get right with respect to injuries and sort of knowledge about this stuff. And particularly with guys that, that, that might be uh, infected or in quarantine, that sort of thing. But we do know that there is uh, a number of defensive linemen in this game from Ohio state that, that won't be playing, I suppose. So, I mean, this, this, this could be, you know, this is a huge part of this game. I mean, I can't imagine having to go down there a little shorthanded against an Alabama team that is so strong 
up front running the football and, and you know, putting their will on you. So it, could this this very thing sort of swing the game one way or the other? Well, Ohio State may not may not be able to hang with them simply because they don't have the depth or their starters necessarily to, to hang hang with Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, that's been one of the themes of the whole season, right? Where, where teams have gone up and down based on who's been available and who hasn't. Um, and then obviously you, t- you take that a step further in some of the games that have been called off and, and, and what have you. But yeah, that look, if, if you're trying to win a national championship, it's really, really hard to do. You're at this point, you're playing a great team, whichever side of it you're on. And every little thing can matter. And if Ohio State is going to be without some of their their guys on a defensive line that, by the way, was pretty darn good against Clemson, um, depending on how many other de- uh, defections there are or not, yeah, that's going to be a huge thing. And, and you look at uh, Ohio State's defense hasn't been sensational all year, especially kind of on the back end on the safeties. And if they're not able to get a lot of pressure uh, on Mac Jones, then that's going to be an issue. Or like you said, <laughs> Najee Harris, best running back in the country, uh, he'll be able to run through those too. So yeah, that this has a potential to be a very big, uh, to make a very big impact on this game. And for Alabama, I mean, we've talked about just how talented this Alabama team is. I, I think there were like six or seven um, of those, you know, Player of the Year awards. Whether it's you know the Bolitnikov or certainly the Heisman, um, which we can get into with Devontae Smith and and, and others that all Alabama players won. I don't think, I think it's unprecedented. I don't think there ever have been that many, um, you know college football awards won by one team but so that's it how was strong the, uh, the, the doke walker for best running back went to Najee. Mm-hmm. um the davy o'brien for quarterback went to mac jones bolitnikoff wow. for receiver went to Devonte smith remington for best center went to um landon dickerson the fsu transfer the outland for best interior lineman or offensive lineman whatever lineman specifics are uh was to alex leatherwood uh that was just the offense <laughs> I don't, and uh, Pat, Patrick Sertain did he win uh, DB? I, I can't think remember. He won the Thorpe, anyway, right? That was just the, that yeah. was just the offense. Yeah, I, I mean not it's, bad. it's inc- not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. And and it, it's incredible that they they have that much depth. Um, but you know Nick Nick Saban has managed to accumulate this kind of talent. And he knows what to do with it. So um, it, it looks like this is the way they're going to go. If there is any distractions at all, and I don't think it's a big one, but we've seen it hurt them maybe in the past a little bit, it's that their offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, is on his way to Texas as the Longhorns coach. And it's ironic because Sark kind of got into the game uh, calling plays a little bit with Alabama when another offensive coordinator was either ceremoniously dumped or left uh, for a head coaching job, and that was Lane Kiffin. So what's the story now with Sark uh, coaching in this game? Yeah, it, things kind of come come full circle. I mean, I remember before the title game in Tampa, it was a week before it, it's when Lane Kiffin and, and Bama decided it wasn't working. I'm not sure which side thought it more. Yeah, let's, let's face it. Saban th- said this isn't working, and, and they were done. So then Steve Sarkeesian goes from analyst to play caller a week before the title game. I remember talking to him at Amelie Arena Um just kind of how he was doing because he had been you know, he had been through hell. Let's face it, um, he had been disgraced in, in the public out public uh, alcohol incidents and losing the USC job and then coming in uh, coming in cold and hadn't called plays in years because he he had delegated that responsibility at USC. And then coming in to to call plays against a very good Clemson team at, at Ray J. Um, it was very interesting. But Sark said at the time, "I believe I'm going to be a head coach again. I'm still pretty young." 
I'm going to learn what I can do, but I still think I can be a head coach again. Now, here we are, what, four years later, not only is the uh, head coach again, he's a head coach of one of the 10 best programs in the country, a a blue blood among blue bloods at at Texas. And and by the way, has a chance to kind of finish what he started a couple years ago and couldn't do, the chance to win a national title on his way out. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I mean, Nick Saban has done this, you know, and continues to do this with some coaches that are either fired and, and of course, not all of them have some of the issues off the field that Sark had, but uh, they wind up going there either as consultants or what have you. And and for lack of a better term, I mean, to conflate this with, with um, his addiction problem, but it's it's sort of a rehab for coaches. I mean, you go there, eventually work your way sometimes onto the staff, and before you know it, you can be a head coach again. I mean, isn't this sort of what's happening with the Alabama program? Absolutely. You look at Mike Loxley, now the head coach at Maryland. He went through that. I mean, Lane mm-hmm. Kiffin. Uh, yeah. He had his own issues in terms of right. immaturity and whatever else you want to say. Uh, he, he's you know back in the SEC now because of the job he did as a, not not as a, on the the analyst side, but as an assistant under Saban. Um, well, here's another weird wrinkle to this one, Rick. Um, so as of today, uh, Alabama has the new head coach uh, and, and Steve Sarkeesian on on staff, new head coach at Texas. And they also have a former Texas head coach and Charlie Strong as a uh, quality <laughs> control analyst there, which that, that's just kind of the embarrassment of, of riches Alabama has, where they can continue to do that. I think Major Applewhite, uh, yeah. former Houston head coach, I think he's uh, on staff as a quality control analyst type guy. And that's mm. just what they're able to do because uh, those it's a very attractive job for a, a coach who's looking to rebound because of the guys that have done it before. And shoot, we forgot about Butch Jones, who's now the head coach at Arkansas State. He went go. through that same cycle after failing at Tennessee, going on, on and being a, a Bama guy, and now head coach of, uh, of of your alma mater, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, no, they have not changed my alma mater. That is exactly where he is, and I wish him well. <laughs> not necessarily the hire I would have done, but hey, we'll, you know, we're, we're going to get behind our Red Wolves. Um, I Champions wanted to of talk life. To you. Champions of life, yeah. Rick. Exactly. I wanted to talk to you about um, the Heisman, and I know um, you know you are a voter, obviously, and you 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 follow the rules and and don't really reveal who you're going to vote for. But then you you write a column and explain it. And Devonte Smith, I, I mean, obviously, we had talked about this just sort of um, in general about how the best player in Alabama on Alabama, and we just listed all those players that won all those awards. Um, was their wide receiver. I mean, I know Mac Jones got an awful lot of love, and for a while there it looked like maybe he was the front runner. Maybe Kyle Trask uh, was in was right there in the mix as well, and it could come down to a quarterback. Um, but Smith wins it. And just want to get your, your feelings about why you went that way and sort of <laughs> what the fallout has been <laughs> that, uh, that, that yourself and other voters may get when, when they have a, a difficult decision. Because Alabama had three guys that could have won the Heisman this year. They absolutely did. Um, so my ballot was Devontae Smith, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, and then Mac Jones at Alabama. Uh, mm-hmm. You only get three guys. Those are my three. Uh, mm-hmm. Gator fans will notice that Kyle Trask was not in that three. Um, they noticed. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, my, my Twitter uh, mentions have been kind of a, a, a dumpster fire the last week or so. Um, <laughs> so here, here is the thought process why. Um, Devontae Smith, I thought, leading into the, t- the uh, SEC title game, excuse me, I thought he was the best player in the country. I'd said it here that I thought he was really good. I, I liked him more than Mac Jones. Yep. I took about two plays of me. I said, I want to watch him in person. I just want to see with my own eyes, make sure I'm, I'm feeling this right. Took about two catches. I, I turned to, to Cassidy Hill, another Gators writer, and said, yep, all right, I'm convinced. He's a guy. 
<laughs> done. Um, so then the question w- was two and three. And I put about you know, six, seven, eight guys that I really, really considered there. Um, and, and it's weird because you like different guys for different reasons, right? You th- think of it like food. I, I like burgers for different reasons than I like ice cream, right? So you have to kind of evaluate them differently. Um, and, and Trevor Lawrence was two because if you watch him play, his stats were not great. But if you watch him play, if you watch him run, if you watch the throws that he makes that not mm. a lot of guys have done at this level before, yeah, you have to think, holy cow, that guy's good. That guy's special. Mm. Mm. Um, so I had him too, even though the numbers, his numbers were not great. I was, uh, I liked what Dabo said after the Notre Dame game, where for, you know, it's not always about stats. Just look, watch the film. This guy's outstanding. And I, I bought that argument. Um, and then on the flip side, Mac Jones is kind of the not to say the opposite because you know he's a really good player too. It's not just numbers, but uh, I was more compelled by the fact that Mac Jones has the highest at the time I, at the time of the vote had the highest passing efficiency in the history of college football and the wow. second highest completion percentage in the history of college football. That to mm. me was more impressive than Trask touchdowns and yards. So that was my thought process. Honestly, if I had another vote. I would have put for Kyle Pitts at, at four, just because you looked at how Trask was not the same when, when Pitts was out um, against LSU, and you know the Cotton Bowl that doesn't count because it, that was before or that happened after the vote was due. Um, but I just think that it was another kind of sign of, of that Pitts I thought was the best player on that team. I thought at watching it, and there were a couple games at the end of the season that kind of pushed that a little bit more and reinforced it in my in my eyes. You mentioned Trask, and, and, and I think if the Cotton Bowl served anything, it's to me, it sort of served to say who Trask is, right? There there are quarterbacks, and you mentioned one, I think, with Trevor Lawrence, that, that can be, and this is all projection, right? I mean, we've been here before with a lot of players, but those generational talents, right, where they can elevate other people's games, you know, the John Elways and guys with, you know, exceptional athletic ability, great arms, poise, all that stuff. And then there's the Kyle Trask, who I think it was evident in the Cotton Bowl, and this would be true about a lot of quarterbacks, particularly him, that if you take away Kyle Pitts and, and, and all those other great weapons for a singular game, suddenly he looks very mortal. Suddenly you realize the quarterback position is the most dependent on the football field. Um, and so I know the vote was after um, or before this this Cotton Bowl, but first of all, what did, what did you make of – of, of Trask and, and, you know, what, what he wasn't able to do. And, and in, in general, um, I'm curious what the hell happened though, overall to Florida. Like we've <laughs> talked about Dan Mullen, man. And for some reason he felt like 2020 was over because he declared that to be the start of 2021. If that was the start of 2021, Oh boy. It's gonna be a rough <laughs> They're in trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a, a lot to unpack there. Um, what I thought with Trask is I thought it was sad um, yeah, because, look, yeah. he had a fantastic career. To go from a, a two-star, three-star prospect who's a high school backup, I think four different guys started at, ahead of him at Florida, including three different transfers, to, to wait his turn, which nobody does nowadays, not, and then to get the opportunity and then go be really, really good – and be a Heisman Trophy finalist, one of the, you know, I didn't have him in my top three, but he's surely in the top six, I thought. Sure. That, that's that's a fantastic story. It's a wonderful career. It's what's right about college football. He did it with grace. He did it with class. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's fantastic. So for it to end the way it did, as ugly as it did, with three first quarter interceptions and then you know not getting back in to give Emory the shot, 
I, I thought that was just unfortunate because he, he deserved better. Let's face it. He deserved better because he didn't have to play in the game. You know, Kadarius Tony didn't. No, he didn't. Trayvon Grimes didn't. Kyle Pitts yeah. didn't. Marco Wilson yeah. didn't. Ventral Miller didn't. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of players, but mm-hmm. he didn't have to do it, but he did because that's the kind of person he is and the kind of player he is. So for it to end that way was was, was unfortunate and, and was sad. And that game was just a that game was just a debacle. Let's face it. Um, I, I'm I'm staring right now uh, at my uh, the piece piece of paper on my uh, at the courtyard hotel uh, bed for it says final rankings because at some point between. Uh, now and, and kickoff, I have to do my final AP ballot. You know, oh, wow. we'll figure out who who's one and two based on the game. Yeah. I have no idea what to do with the Gators because they, when they were really good, they were maybe one of the five best teams in the country. They mm-hmm. were in that discussion, certainly in the five to ten. Mm-hmm. When they were bad, they lost to an LSU team that was out without like twenty guys, including a bunch of DBs at home as twenty something point favorites. That's not good. Um, and then you, you look at what happened in the bowl game. It, I not, I don't want to put a ton of stock in it, given the circumstances and bowls are fluky and this, that, and the other. Oklahoma was really good, by the way, but that was still a game that happened. I, I saw it, right? There was, there was a score, there was a winner, there was a loser. The loser was the Gators, the winner was Oklahoma, and it was really, really bad. So I don't know how to kind of rectify those things. Other than that, it was a weird result and a weird year. Um, but look, let's face it, this is a Gators team that I thought had championship potential. Dan Mullen himself said here in Miami uh, last was it late December, early January, whatever it was, after the Orange Bowl, that, that if things go right, da-da-da, we can be here playing for a national championship. And they went 8-4. and four. So let, you know, this was a, uh, given, even given all the circumstances, it was a disappointing year. I would say a failure of a year for the Gators and, and what they had. I would agree with you, and 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 I'm going to put all I'm going to put an awful lot of this on Dan Mullen. Um, look, there's there's no shame in losing, um, you know, some of those games, not all of them, but the, but but some of those games. And, and I think, you know, the bowl game, we we can look at that and say, you know, they didn't have certain players, but they they obviously weren't prepared to play with the guys that they did they did have, and maybe it was too much of an ask at that point, but. Um, you know the, the the games they lost. I mean LSU. It was almost like they were looking past, right? And why wouldn't you um, sort of look past LSU to to Alabama? And a lot of teams have lost Alabama. I would argue that they probably played Alabama and may end up playing them as well as any team in the country. I'm not sure Ohio State will give them as good or entertaining game as Florida did. And that's the shame. The talent was there. You had a quarterback who certainly knows how to manage things and is very accurate and doesn't, you know, not prone to the big mistake. And yet, they did. They had these. They had these brain freezes. Which, I mean, we've seen. You know, I found it to be that the teams often take the personality of their head coaches, and we're talking about eighteen to twenty, twenty-one year olds. So anything is possible with 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 these kids. Um, but Mullen has sort of been this, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion. He's sort of been this sort of volatile personality that rides the roller coaster. When he's high, he's really, really high, and he's up there in the fans and stands, and he's, you know, high fiving people and running out to the field to try to get in the faces of other players or coaches. And then when it's bad, it's sort of really bad. And and I think his team sort of reflected that. You know that they 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 were never on very much of, of an even keel all season. It was just weird to me. 
Yeah, some of the not being on the even keel, I think, is because of the nature of this year and this season. Um, true, true. The fact that you've got 18 to 22-year-olds doing all these testing and not knowing who was going to play, and then suddenly they're teammates out and, and, and games all that canceled. stuff. You had games canceled. That's part of it too, right? Yep, you had games canceled, sure. Um, so I think that's that's some of it. But yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Mullen, like this was just a weird year with Mullen. Um, the honeymoon period is is over. It's officially mm. over. Um, mm. We talked on here about uh, Mullen in the NFL. As we sit here today, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. He hasn't. He hasn't said anything. We'll we'll see. I, I just don't think he's going to get the the opportunity. Mm. Um, so. That leaves. So where does that leave him, and where does that leave the Gators? Um, that leaves a guy who, I mean, look at his, look at what he did during the course of this season. This is a really good rabbit hole to go down. Um, you look at packing the swamp after A and M. That was a, yeah, a head scratching, to say the mm-hmm. least, comment that not a lot of people liked. Um, you yeah. look at the fight against Missouri and what he, you know, and, and the Darth dressing up as Darth Vader. Um, some of the petty stuff, like he wouldn't release his roster uh, during the preseason. Um, then you you look at, uh, oh goodness, what am I forgetting? Um, the uh, the LSU incident where he kind of said, oh, that was a football move. Yeah, a football <laughs> move, taking a guy's shoe off and throwing it downfield. Yeah, that's, that's a football move. I, I First he didn't see time. it, right? First he didn't even see it, but then it was a football move. Which which I buy with not not seeing it live. Like, okay, right, right, I, right. I, I didn't see it either. Um, but anyway, right. you got that, and then the, 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 the 2020 team was over. That was, that was a 2021 team. You kind of put all that stuff together, and it, the Gator fans that I know have not been thrilled. Uh, and and add, again, let's not ignore the fact that he lost the last three games of the year, and they took a team that had playoff potential, and that, according to himself, and then they went eight and four. So the, the honeymoon period is officially over. I don't know what's going to happen with the NFL. I my gut tells me that he's going to be back in Gainesville, but there's going to be some hurt feelings, I think, because of this this kind of flirtation uh, with the NFL, because of the way things went on the field, the way things went off the field. You know, he's halfway through his sixth year contract. So this is the time you start talking about extension because the you know, coaches love to have all that stability and security. And I don't know that that's going to happen or what the, the talk on that will be. There's a lot of weird stuff going on right now in Gainesville with Mullen. I don't know where all it's going to end, but it has potential to be to work out brilliantly. It also has potential to uh, to start turning into friction. I mean, we know how... Uh, the Gators' job, more so than almost any other in the country, can eat you alive if you're not careful and if you're not doing it well. We saw it with his predecessor, Jim McElwain, how the pressure yeah. got to him and how that ended so spectacularly. So I'm not saying Mullen's going to be like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this is a situation to monitor very closely in the coming weeks and then in the offseason as well to figure out how everybody's going to get on the same page because it has the potential, again, the potential for things to, you know, this to have been last couple of weeks to have been a turning point in, in the Mullen era. Without trash, do you think they're well set up for the quarterback position and what Mullen wants to do? Will this be a better thing for him? I don't know that Trask was bad, obviously, but I'm just saying different type of quarterback, right? More like a Deshaun Watson type. <laughs> there's there's not many Deshaun Watsons. Uh, well, granted, but I mean, run pass versus yes, you know, yes, a guy yes. that's no, going to no, be in I, pocket. I know what you mean. I'm sorry. Deshaun is just like, one of the best three players I think I've seen in, in my lifetime. He's, he's, I have yeah. him on an enormous pedestal. 
with, with actually probably with Lamar Jackson and uh, Dalvin Dude, Cook. Don't disagree. You're pre uh, amen, brother. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, D- D- Deshaun's is unbelievable. Um, but to, to your to your actual point here, I think this is more. Uh, look, Emory Jones is the quarterback that Mullen recruited. He's the first one that he signed at Florida. He, I think Mullen was his first offer when he was at Mississippi State. Uh, Emory was the, the, yeah, Mullen gave Emory his first offer, I think is what happened. So this is a guy he's known for a while, had his eye on for a while, and fits what Mullen typically wants to do. You know, Mullen always says, I don't need a great runner, I need a willing runner. And you mm. look at Trask most of this year, he didn't really run very much. Once or twice a game, get a couple of yards, get a quarterback sneak or something. So give Mullen credit for tweaking his offense to the system that he had, or to the, to the personnel he had, especially at quarterback. But sure. going forward, assuming this is the Emory Jones show, yeah, I think this typically fits what Mullen does better, which is more quarterback runs. Use that as the plus one in the run game to open up stuff in the passing game as well. Um, so we'll we'll see. I, I don't have a good read on these 2021 Gators. I'm only putting a little bit of stock in the Cotton Bowl just because of how weird everything was. We don't know who all's back. We don't know transfer portal, all that stuff. But just, just looking mm-hmm. at the quarterback position, yeah, I think they're going to be in, in good shape. Um, I, I don't know how good Emory is just because I haven't seen enough of it yet. We've seen flashes, but I haven't seen consistency to, to have a good read on it. But in terms of the potential, yeah, this should be a quarterback that Mullen can, can, uh, can use very well. Well, I'm interested in Florida. I'm really interested, though, in this game uh, that you're in Miami to cover tonight. You've been to a number of these national title games. And, um, you know, look, we've already commented on how it's remarkable they're going to finish the season even playing this. Um, but the atmosphere around it, you know, there's going to be a big game here on February 7th uh, called the Super Bowl 55. Um, we've had a it. national title. Yeah, we've had, yeah, they're going to do it. We've had a national title game here before in the past, too, and that was quite the extravaganza. So, what have you been able to witness uh, with respect to Miami and just kind of how it feels um, to you in terms of of an event that is that has become very much Super Bowl like in its in its own way? It's very different. You know, this is my fifth national title game, my my fourth in the playoff era. The biggest difference between the BCS national title game and the playoff national title game is that it is more like the Super Bowl. It is an event. It is no longer just a football game. There's all this other stuff. I mean, I was, I was double-checking stuff earlier. Uh, the night before the national title game at Clemson-Bama and Tampa, Usher had a giant concert uh, down down by the river, and I think they like projected his image on like the whatever yeah. uh, this, the weird tower is down there. The round yeah. building, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the round thing, right. Um, and, and this time there's a, a concert that you could stream on your phone or, or online. Um, so that's how they're they're doing some of this. So, you know, I spent an hour walking around um, – south beach they've got the, the their playoff stuff set up they're kind of ancillary events and really it's just like some photo ops you know take a picture in front of the big 2021 playoff sign and the alabama and ohio state jerseys and and that mm-hmm. sort of thing it's kind of cool but compare that to in tampa where they had all these games you could play and they had the chick-fil-a cow walking around and take a selfie with larry culpepper and and, and all that stuff and, and the different except like the concerts and different foods and um, you know, they had like a Lego thing where you could make your own college football playoff championship trophy and, and all that stuff to, yeah, some cool places to take a picture and put it on Instagram. It's very, very different. And it's, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it, what that necessarily means for the Super Bowl, but I would expect that to, to carry over where, yes, you can tell that there is a big event in town, you know, driving from 
where I picked up my media credentials uh, from downtown Miami to, to South Beach. You see a bunch of posters and stuff, but it's different. You, you're walking around. You don't see a ton. I, I spent an hour walking around South Beach with all this playoff stuff. I did not hear a single Roll Tide. Zero. Wow. That, 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 that's, <laughs> that's, that's weird. Um, I usually did hear, hear one. Usually hear one in Publix every week or so. I think you it, know. It it's feels a, like it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I did hear an OHIO cheer or two break out, but yeah, okay. it's just it's just different. There's not as there's definitely not as much buzz, and the events are not as big. And you know, we all understand why. It's just kind of just weird. And I'm I'm curious to to see what that will feel like in, in Hard Rock Stadium on Monday night. Whether it can still feel like a big game or whether it feels like a glorified spring game kind of feel in terms of the crowd like a lot of them have been and what what is the limited seating capacity for this uh extravaganza do you know i think it's about 16 i don't remember off the top of my head but okay i think it's in that 20 percent 20 percent something like that mm -hmm. that's that's about what the bucks have and um they, they they can make some noise um but it's you know socially distanced and certainly different but um the tv beauty audience of course won't necessarily notice other than when they show shots of the stands or the, of the seats. Um, let me ask you then uh, for a prediction, because look at these, so it, I mean, we don't always get the ones that we had in Tampa, right? Where Clemson um, scores the winning touchdown there at the end. Um, sometimes they're, they're blowouts and, and that's usually been the case in the semifinal games anyway, but not, not always in the, in the title game. So what what should we look for? What what's going to tell us uh, early on whether uh, this is whether Ohio State's going to be able to hang with Alabama? And I would assume that Alabama is a, a pretty good favorite in this one. Yeah, I think it's about seven or eight uh, is is the line that I've seen. I, I think you should look for a couple things. I mean, you, you mentioned it, but Ohio State's defensive line, um, the depending on how many people they have out and who is out because of coronavirus stuff, um, their line played very, very well against Clemson. They were getting a lot of penetration, especially on the, the, the interior part of that line. Um, they don't have like a Chase Young like they've had in the past, but they've got a bunch of really good four, you know, former four and five star dudes in there. So if they are able to get some pressure on Mac Jones, clog up the running lanes, that sort of thing, then I think Ohio State's going to have a chance on that side. Um, the other thing is, well, again, we touched on this too, but Justin Fields. Um, uh, Alabama's defense is good. It is not a great Alabama defense, especially in the mm. back end. You know, Patrick Sertain mm. uh, is a one of the best corners in the country, great cornerback. But that's on one side. So he's either going to have Chris Olave or, or Garrett Williams. We'll see which one he's on uh, most of the game. But that's going to leave one of the other two really good Ohio State receivers open. And they're, they're, you know, other Bama cornerbacks have not been great, uh, and the, the safeties have not been great for Alabama either. So I say that to say, Ohio State can, can can beat up deep if Justin Fields is up to it and, and if the receivers are up to it as well. So I, I think Ohio State's best chance is kind of like it was, kind of like what I said against the Gators. Um, yeah. The Gators needed to get it in a shootout and hope whoever has the ball last has a chance to win, and the Gators didn't have enough time. So I think that's Ohio State's best chance is get in a shootout, you know, make it kind of a track meet situation, you know, have Trey Sermon run wild like Ezekiel Elliott did in, in 2014. And then uh, maybe you get the ball last with a chance to do it to Deshaun Watson it and uh, Orange Crush with one second left in the end zone. Well, we can only hope it'll be that exciting. But in any case, you'll be able to follow it with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. You can read him on TampaBay.com. He's in South Florida for the national championship game. Alabama and Ohio State should be a great one. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it all year long, buddy. Sure. Thank you. Well, I'll stay up and watch that game so long as it's competitive. There's no doubt about that. I'm interested in uh, in how it turns out. I think I think 
Yeah, this one feels like Ohio State's not going to have enough juice, especially on defense with all this going on, but we'll see how it goes. Meanwhile, Steve, you were at the Tampa Bay Lightning scrimmage. Uh, I can't believe that the season is opening up on Wednesday. Gosh, I get, got here really quick. Chicago Blackhawks, uh, and we had had some hope, anyway, of maybe going to opening day. Those hopes were dashed, not just for opening day, but apparently uh, there will be no fans at Emily Arena, whether you're talking about the Toronto Raptors or the Tampa Bay Lightning, until February 5th, which is just two days before the Super Bowl. Yeah, Vinick Sports Group, who uh, owns the Lightning, uh, has decided to stop having fans in the stadium, or the arena, I should say, uh, until at least February 5th. Um, as with the rising cases of COVID-19 in the community and that. It's a decision they made on their own. Uh, so there will not be fans in the stands for the opener on Wednesday night for the Lightning or for this homestand, which, by the way, Game 3 Sunday against Dallas has already been postponed because Dallas had six players test positive for COVID yeah. and two staffers. Um, it's going to be a season of you know some juggling games and scheduling and that too. But uh, no fans for the opener. I do not know at this point what's going to happen with – any banner raising or if it'll be put off. If you remember, the Los Angeles Lakers uh, did not raise a banner. Yeah, They got their rings on their home opener but did not raise the banner. They said they'd wait for fans to be in the stands to do that. Yeah, I think that'd um, be cool, actually. I, 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 I'm, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm guessing. I, I, think, I think that's probably the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard a quote the other day that uh, trophies are for the owners, rings are for the players, banners are for the fans. There you go. That's a perfect way of saying it. Absolutely. And I have no idea who said it, and and you know, but or who said it first. But I heard that the other day, and I was like, you know, that's that's about as accurate as it gets when it comes to sports. So, yeah. um, so but yeah, I mean, NBC will carry the game on on Wednesday, and then you know, you've also got starting Friday the Lightning on Fox Sports Sun, which there's really only one provider in town that has Fox Sports Sun right now, so. Um, if you're a Lightning fan, and, and when the Rays start up, uh, Spectrum has it, but Frontier, there's no deal with Frontier with the Sinclair Group or with if you're using over the top, uh, whether Hulu or YouTube TV, none of them have Fox Sports Sun. So, well, it'd be tough to get your Lightning fix this year unless you have Spectrum. Yeah, fortunately, I do. So, to heck with all you other people. <laughs> What's your problem? I don't work for Spectrum, although they want to advertise. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it just seems so sudden to me that they, you know, of course the way the season was postponed and things pushed back, they, they literally haven't had much time off and they are, you know, they're still seems, I can still see them skating around with the cup. It's, like it's it about the regular night. off season time. It's, I know, it's been, I know. And they won the cup on September 28th. So it's been, you know, three and a half it's months a, already. It's been a while. And if you go back and said it was June, you know, if it had happened mm-hmm. on schedule, it's just. You know, everything's kind of weird because we had all the sports involved at once. And yep. um, now they're all coming back again, you know, at once. So, um, but I'm I'm excited for hockey. And, of course, they have, I think, a triple header uh, on NBC or someplace. Uh, yeah, the first Wednesday. game's at 530, and then the Lightning will be. That's an 8 o'clock start on Wednesday, too, by the way. Oh, wow. So it's a little uh, bit later. Yeah, 8 o'clock start Wednesday, and then uh, there'll be a game after that for the West Coast. But uh, it's really going to be cool. an interesting, you know, this 56-game schedule. It's not quite a sprint, but it's definitely more – it's not a marathon like the 82-game schedule. And, you know, the other part of this is you're facing all division teams. So you yeah. get in a hole early. It's going to be hard to climb out of. And, yeah, and the other you're... part – and Dave Mishkin's brought this up a couple times to me and, and others too, but you're playing games in sets of two, which you normally don't do in hockey. 
Right. In, in the same arena, even. Sometimes you'll play a, a home and away. You might home get Carolina away, at yeah. home and then Florida. play them the next mm-hmm. day, you know, Florida the same way. But pretty much the whole season's in sets of two. So you've got Chicago Wednesday and Friday. You're supposed to have Dallas Sunday and Tuesday. And then you're going to go on the road to Columbus for two games. And this. Generally, when you play back-to-back games against a team, whoever wins the first game, the losing team on the second one has more jump to start the game. It you know it, it generally happens in sports. You're mad you lost the first game, and you yeah, come it's out. human nature, right? Yeah, you sure, know. you're a little fired up, right? Mm-hmm. So, are we going to see a ton of splits in these two games? And, and does that mean all the standings are going to be so bunched up, and every little and every point's going to be tight? They I mean, might. We don't know. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, I think their division is favorable. Um, I think Detroit's going to be better than they were last year. Um, although I don't think they're playoff capable. Chicago's a mess right now. Without Jonathan Taze and and they've got goaltender problems and you know I think I think they may end up last place in the division. I think Detroit may pass Chicago. Yeah. But then you so you've got six teams competing for the four playoff spots. You get four spots in your division that go to the playoffs. So uh, the Lightning just have to be in the top four of those. I, I don't think Detroit and Chicago are going to make the playoffs this year. So I think it's down to the other six. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be interesting. I think the the start's going to matter. Um, you know, and that's where you, you hope that the experience and, and the the fact that, um, you know, pretty much the whole Bolts team is back. I mean, obviously Kucherov's injured, and, they you know, they traded Paquette and Coburn, but for the most part, the rest of your big guns are back and Stamkos is healthy, so you like you like the Lightning's chances. Yeah, I think the best thing you said there was Steven Stamkos is healthy and skating well, and mm-hmm. they say it looks great. So um, He was skating well at the scrimmage on, on Sunday night. So Yeah, I think I saw him. You were there. And Matthew I think I Joseph saw... looked really good. I thought Klorn was really good. Um, the blue team won if you're keeping score, 5-2. Uh, to two, So Yeah, um, I'm a big blue fan. Yeah. Whoever was on it. But, yeah, I saw, I saw a video of him taking uh, slap shots from the circle, mm-hmm. which – his office, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of where he lives. Um, surprised even. He, I'm sure he could do it blindfolded. I'm absolutely sure he could do it blindfolded. He's taking so many, but great to see Stamkos back. Um, we we are hockey's back. Man, it's crazy. So so much going on. I mean, we got you know the NFL, obviously college football championship tonight. Hockey on on Wednesday. This is where you want to be. We're here every Monday through Friday. And uh, remember to if you're looking to find some jewelry. And uh, I got you, I really want you guys to check out Old Northeast Jewelers. You know the one in St. Petersburg. They've been there for years, right, on 4th Street. Check out their new store. It's in Hyde Park Village. It's at 1607 West Swan Avenue. Uh, it's beautiful down there. And uh, don't forget that they've got, like, online consultations if you're trying to get some help. They also have free delivery to your door. I mean, this is for jewelry, rings, luxury watches, just anything that you need. And if you're looking to pick up a little extra cash after the holidays, who's not? Um, Old Northeast Jewelers are always buying fine jewelry and luxury watches or anything that you think you might want to trade in and you know get something brand new for yourself. So go check out Old Northeast Jewelers, uh, two locations, the one on 4th Street in St. Pete and 1607 West Swan Avenue in beautiful Hyde Park Village. Hey, one, more which... note. one more oh, note. Sorry. Nostra Thomas comes through again. Yeah. Do we give it to him, though, because he said that they were going to lose? I mean, they, they, they didn't. Well, he, he said, said they were going to win one more game, but it wasn't the game he said they were going to win. Yeah, he said one. they'd only win one more game this year, and then he kind of went through the schedule, and he said it would be the Bengals game instead of the, the game yeah. they actually won. 
They were 10 and 1 at the time he said it, by the way. Yeah. They had won 10 in a row, and then the day after they lost, he said they're not going to win another game. They're going to win one more game. And I was like, come on. And they won one more game. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did yeah. see, I don't know if this is true, but I saw one of the uh, Bengals beat writers were asked, when was the last time that the Steelers lost to the Bengals and the Browns in primetime in the same season? Oof. And, and his answer was 1985. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Granted, the Browns and the Bengals don't get a lot of primetime games, so that might be part of the pro- thing. But Right. But well, the, Steel- the Steelers ago. have dominated that division for years, and the Ravens have been good too. But Well, just think about the Bucks now. You know, the Bucks just got their first playoff win since 2002. This is the first playoff game since 2002 yeah. for the Browns. So their fans have waited, you know, 18 years well, just ba- to see their team in the postseason. The Bengals have not had a playoff win since 91. Right. So, I mean, well, there's that. You know, the Bucks, but you got to get you got to yeah. get there to win no, one. They went they went five <laughs> so, straight years with Andy Dalton. They just lost every time I know, in the first round. But you got to get there. These guys haven't been there. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. You know, like they're Baker Mayfield, and you know he played really really well. Look, the Brown team's no joke now. They've got talent. It's mm-hmm. not a question of talent. I mean, he threw yeah. three touchdowns, and, and they did this tonight Chubb without their Kareem, coach too. Yeah, Chubb. Yeah, coach wasn't even there, by the way. But what does that make you feel like, right? <laughs> Hey, good job, Kevin Stefanski. You're coach of the year. Not that we needed you all that much. Well, I don't. I don't know the way that second half was going. You were kind of worried about that. Well, that's true. He might have. You know, he watched the game in his uh, in his basement on a sixty inch, I guess, mm-hmm. TV with nobody and no phone, nothing. Yeah, he no had to have his phone off. He had to have it off. He had to have it off, and he just locked himself in there. Or I don't know if he locked it, but he put himself downstairs in his home, wherever he was, and, and was going to be completely alone. And that would be weird. I would want to be able to tell somebody what my emotions were and scream and yell. But, um, but he, yeah, he just watched it by himself. And uh, I guess either he was able to prepare his coaches who prepared the team or he was able to do it virtually. But um, that team was, was on fire from the time they kicked it off and they responded. And, you know, turns out Baker Mayfield can do more than make awesome commercials because his commercials are phenomenal. Yeah, those, those progressive commercials are pretty good. And he acted like a quarterback tonight, so... That's going to do it for us. For Steve Erstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 